Welcome in to the Tuesday edition of the Trophy Room. Okay, coming up, Cincinnati still isn't getting in. NBA players getting ejected left and right. Referees are also throwing body checks. And what in the world is going on with that Aaron Rodgers interview on the Pat McAfee Show? As always, thanks for hanging out. Love and getting to get you through the next hour and get you ready for what's going to happen in this playoff reveal tonight. As soon as you get done listening, go give me a five-star review. It helps out a ton. Also, okay, so... The first thing that I think that we have to hit is you think like this. Imagine that you are on a plane and the pilot, you're flying from, flying from LA to Dallas, right? You fly into Dallas, perfect weather. You get there, sun's shining, not a cloud in the sky. It's like spring, so you got a nice 60 to 70s feel. We're just coming out of winter. Super nice, right? Flying into Dallas. And let's say that for whatever reason, the pilot is taking this plane to the ground. You're going to land DWF or whatever I think it is, DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay, you're landing DFW, and you fly in. And for some reason, the plane starts to wobble. No wind, no extra, no side effects, nothing. But for some reason, the plane just starts to wibble wobble a little bit. And the the, the pilot comes on and he goes, hey, whatever. We're going to land. Everything's going to be fine. Hit a little bit of turbulence. But there's no wind, no nothing. And for some reason, you just come in like a crash landing. And he just barely gets the wheels parallel to the ground. It's rocky, super bumpy, and you hit the ground. And then let's say that you have three or four of those experiences and they happen to be all from the same pilot. Super obscure, but just think about it. If the same pilot in multiple places, every single time he's about to land the plane has issues and it's perfect weather, there's no extra anything. Nothing is causing this plane to be to have a struggle. But it's okay because he didn't crash. He just almost crashed. But in perfect, in perfect conditions as a seasoned pro, as a pilot, he almost crashed the plane. But he didn't crash. He just almost crashed. Would you opt to fly with him again? Would you opt to say and recommend to your friends, yeah, let's say, let's say it's a private plane and you are flying with this guy. Are you going to recommend this pilot to your friends? Are you going to say, oh, it's okay. He didn't ever crash. He just almost crashed. Because when your life is thrashing before your eyes, you're not thinking, oh, well, we, it's, we're almost going to crash. But, like, there's still a chance that we could not. When the plane seems like it's about to fall out of the sky, you're not thinking, oh, yeah, we're probably going to make it through this. You're thinking, what prayers do I need to be making? Who do I need to call to get everything right before I go see God real quick? You are in no way, shape, or form going to say, oh, yeah, I'd, rec I'd recommend that pilot again. Because he didn't crash, but he almost did under perfect conditions. And that is what I'm saying. There's a team in college football who is running through the same thing, right? Football and sports, the reason that sports are still pure is because it's based in a foundation of a meritocracy. Meritocracy means you are rewarded based on your merit. What you do is directly correlated with what you receive, right? So we don't give you handicap points like in like in this isn't sports betting where it's okay well 
We know that Tulsa would probably get murdered by Alabama, so we're going to make them a minus 24. It doesn't work like that. It's perfect. You either win or you lose, but we're not giving you credit because we feel bad for you. And that is the, like, you have to realize that's the deal going on with Cincinnati three times now. Okay. So there's Tulane, there's uh, whoever we, whoever Cincinnati played this last week, whose name is escaping me. There's Tulane, there's Navy, and why I can't remember who they just played, it is Tulsa. Okay, see, Tulsa and Tulane had me a little confused. So yeah, so Tulsa, Tulane, and Navy. And the Tulsa game was at home. Okay? All three of those, you've struggled. They didn't crash the plane, but they almost did. And the Tulsa game was an eight-point game in which the running back just threw the ball as soon as he got to the one-yard line. Just no contain, no carry at all. Just drops it as soon as he extends it over the goal line. Which would have made that a 26-28 game. You have a two-point conversion. If they tie it up, then you have a minute left. And that game goes into overtime. And as we saw with the Penn State-Illinois game, anything can happen in overtime. So... Why, if we're not going to give this pilot credit for not crashing when he almost crashed, why are we going to give Cincinnati credit for not crashing when they almost did? Okay, Cincinnati at Navy, 27-20. Cincinnati Tulane. That one's a little different, 31-12, but that game was close for way too long. Like, this is not a Purdue situation, people. This is not... Purdue is a different story. We'll get to the Michigan State thing here in a second because I'm going to give you my top 10. But the Purdue thing is different because A, Purdue has five wins on the season. B, they play in a Power 5 conference. And C, they have more uh, top five wins in history than any other school when they come in unranked. Like, for whatever reason, they just come for heads. They are out for blood every single time. The spread says they're going to lose. So Cincinnati's in this deal where, okay, yes, your running back's good, but Drum Ford is hurt now. The cornerbacks are good, but there's no run defense. If Tulane, this is the thing that is critical to understand the difference between Tulane and Tulsa. And, 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 not sorry, not Tulane and Tulsa. Tulane, Tulsa, Navy, and Purdue. Navy and Tulane coming into their games against Cincinnati had one win on the season. They won one football game. And I'm not even going to get into how terrible they are as football teams and how many points they don't score and how many points they do give up. I don't need to say it to you any differently than they scored. They won one football game this season. Tulane, next week, one win on the season. And it took you a while to put them away. And if the situations, if the circumstances are different, then my critique of them is different. But here's the thing. if Again, what I talked about earlier, you're not giving you a handicap. You don't get like a nod of approval or an extra couple points because I'm like, wow, I'm so proud of you that you're doing it and you're not a Power 5 team. I'm not. 
I'm not that impressed. And even if I was, we're not arguing for, like, this isn't a BCS and then everybody else. If you want to be happy to be in the tops, to be like number six, I'll give you that. I'll say, yeah, sure. Like, you can be top six. But this idea that they should be number two in the country, which is what the AP poll has, and there's this huge discrepancy because the college football playoff committee does not see them as number two. And the AP pool does. And then you have Luke Fickle calling out members of the committee and saying, what else do we need to do? I will tell you what right now. If Georgia was barely winning most of their games against SEC competition, which is very likely because the SEC is easily the best competition, the best, I mean, they're amazing. Even last week, Georgia played Missouri. Missouri is dead last in uh, dead last in how many rushing yards they give up. And Georgia loves to run the football, as we know. Georgia couldn't get the ground game going. Granted, Stetson Bennett passed for 300 yards and their backup passed for 100 yards. But it found a way to win. But even the worst teams on the in the SEC on a good day can give other teams trouble. Because... Cincinnati's struggling with a one-win team in their conference. Alabama struggled with a four-win team in their conference. Again, huge difference. AP poll has Cincinnati two, CFP has Alabama two, which again, we will get into here in a second. But you don't get to come out and say, what else do we need to do? We deserve this. We deserve that. No, no, no. If you earn it, then deserving has nothing to do with it. If you go out and style points absolutely matter, people, because that's going to be the extra. Everyone can go undefeated. UTSA can go undefeated. But what's going to set you apart from everybody else? Because if it's just about being undefeated, then I say put Cincinnati and Tulsa or Cincinnati and UTSA on a neutral field and let's see what happens. That's not what it's about. Cincinnati doesn't deserve to be number two. Until they show us otherwise. And as of right now, there are, I believe, three games left on the schedule. Yep. So, so Cincinnati plays at South Florida. Then they play SMU at home. And then at East Carolina. Let's see. What is what is SMU right now? SMU is... SMU is... Okay. SMU is 7-2. and two. That's actually not bad. I was not expecting that. South Florida is... Two and seven. That should be a win. And then who was the other team that I said that they play? SMU, SMU, South Florida, and East Carolina. I don't even know what conference East Carolina is. They also AAC. Okay. East Carolina. East Carolina's five and four. But again, we're not talking about you getting to just be in a bowl game. We're talking about you wanting to compete as the best team in college football. If you're not that, you don't get to compete. It's not, oh, look how good you did considering the circumstances. It's, are you elite or are you not? And Cincinnati, you are not. Just because you didn't crash the airplane doesn't mean I'm going to give you style points simply for that. How do you look going to the ground? You wobbled. We almost lost a wheel. I'm not giving you credit for overcoming your issues that you put ahead of yourself. Like, you got yourself into this bad situation of playing a close game with Tulane, Navy, and Tulsa. 
I'm not going to give you points for getting out of your own mess. That's what that's what being a grown-up means. When you're a kid, you get credit for that. When you're a grown-up, you don't. That's how the world works. So as it looks right now, let me give you what the AP committees or the college football playoff committee's top 10 is because they're going to come out with new rankings tonight. And I think it does matter because, once again, it's power rankings. It's are you moving up, are you move, are you moving down, and what are we learning about what the committee likes and what the committee does not like. Okay, so this is the committee's top 10 as of right now. This is Tuesday morning. The Tuesday night, the rankings will come out. So if you listen to this on Wednesday, obviously these are a little bit different. But the situations going forward are the same. So number 10, you have Notre Dame, which, again – I don't have Notre Dame in my top 10 because they haven't played convincing football in the same fashion that Cincinnati has not. Like, you, you're you not giving me style points. I'm not seeing anything convincing enough that you could beat any of these teams at the top. So I'm not giving Notre Dame any love. They're a decent football team, but they don't control their own destiny anymore. And to me, that's the most sexy thing that you can have as a football team. It's like, like, like people say – and I have certainly said this, like one of the most attractive things about another person is passion. How much control do you have over what the rest of your life is going to look like or are you just going to let it happen to you? To me, the sexiest thing about any football team is do you still control your own destiny? And there's a, two teams not in the top 10 who still – there's actually three teams who still control their destiny not in the top 10 and we'll get to those in a second. Okay, so number 10, Notre Dame. Number nine, Wake Forest. That's obviously going to change because Wake Forest lost to unranked UNC. Oklahoma, we'll get to them in a second. Michigan, Michigan is waiting. Michigan has to play Ohio State. If they can beat Ohio State, then they control their destiny still. Cincinnati. We done talked about Cincinnati, and I'll get back to them a little bit. But then we have five Ohio State, four Oregon, three Michigan State, two Alabama, one Georgia. Again, this is November this is uh, November 9th, Tuesday morning. So we'll, the playoff committee rankings will change tonight. So if you listen to this on Wednesday, don't hate me. Don't think I don't know what I'm talking about because I do. Okay, so I'm going to give you my top 10 real quick. Again, to me, the sexiest thing is do you control your own destiny? I do not care if you're undefeated. Like to me, that's not the most important thing because if that is the case, then why are we saying that Cincinnati deserves to be number two and not Oklahoma? Because Oklahoma played just as close of a game with Tulane, except Oklahoma scored even more points with a backup quarterback essentially. Okay. So where are my rankings? Here we go. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Number 10. I have Auburn and you're going to say why Auburn they've lost two games here's why because if Auburn beats Alabama Auburn therefore gets to the SEC championship now if Auburn were to get to an SEC championship as a two loss SEC champion and they beat Georgia with how badly everyone else is going to be beat out at the end of this season I don't think it's out of the question that Auburn gets in. Do I think they're most deserving? Maybe not. But if they beat Georgia in an SEC championship, then I think they are deserving. And you're going to say, well, that's a lot. That's a that's a fistful to say that they'd have to beat Auburn and Alabama or to beat Alabama and Georgia. You're right. But here's the thing. We like to talk about how good the past few quarterbacks have been at Alabama, right? 
neither Mac Jones nor Tua Tango Vailoa or Jalen Hurts ever won at Jordan Hare. None of them won at Auburn. Okay? So, and Bo Nix is playing significantly better football, a lot more composed, a lot more controlled, less turnovers, less forcing than he was beginning of the season. So we'll see where this goes. I honestly originally thought when we first saw Penn State play Auburn, I really thought Auburn was a piss-poor offense. I thought they were terrible because they didn't seem like they could convert in the red zone at all against Penn State. What was wrong in my analysis is that Penn State is just that good defensively. Penn State's defense is that good. Now, Penn State's kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit with the three straight losses, but Penn State's defense is elite. The offense is a separate issue. Okay, so I have Auburn at number 10 because technically Auburn still controls their own destiny. The one team I don't have in my top 10 who still does control their destiny is Wisconsin. Wisconsin is still atop their division, Big Ten West. If Wisconsin wins out, Wisconsin gets into the Big Ten. Again, similar to Auburn. But if they beat Ohio State or Michigan or Michigan State in a Big Ten championship, so then we would have Georgia. If someone else were to win the SEC championship, then it would probably be either Alabama or Auburn. And then you have probably the Big Ten champion. Because I think if 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 Ohio State is a two-loss team and they lost to Wisconsin, and Wisconsin is also a two-loss team, I don't think it's fair for you to not put Wisconsin in. And then maybe Oregon or Cincinnati if Oregon loses out. So a lot could still happen as far as that goes. So Wisconsin is 21 right now in the committee ranking, but they still control their destiny in terms of playing for a conference championship and potentially playing for a national championship as opposed to 10 of the teams ranked ahead of them. NC State doesn't control that. Kentucky doesn't control that. Mississippi State doesn't control that. Ole Miss doesn't control that. BYU, no. Texas A&M, no. Auburn, yes. Baylor, no. And Notre Dame, no. Okay, so after, um, who we just talk about? Okay, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, not in my top 10, but they do control their own destiny. Oklahoma State, another very interesting team because they also control their own destiny. So if they went out, which right now they're, they have one loss. They have one loss against Texas. If they are to win out, which would mean they'd have to beat Oklahoma, then I forget how it works in the Big 12 because they don't have divisions. So I think it's just the top two teams go. So Oklahoma State still has every opportunity to win their conference. If they were to win their conference, they would be a one-loss team going in, which is very possible. It just depends on what version of Spencer Sanders are we getting because sometimes you get elite lights out and sometimes you get deer in a headlights looking Spencer Sanders. So it's just going to depend on what we get, but we've seen these receivers for this team be uber athletic and they do have a very efficient run game really fast. Even though the guys are little, very quick. So Oklahoma state again, controls their own destiny, Michigan. I think I have Michigan at eight because Michigan can still get in. If they beat Ohio state, that one loss for that Oregon gave Ohio State has ab- completely changed the Big Ten. 
because now if yes it's on an in-conference loss but if michigan beats ohio state then they have the same conference record and the tiebreaker goes to whoever won the matchup same with michigan state so that's why michigan state at seven because they also if they beat ohio state and they don't lose another game they also control their own destiny Number six, Cincinnati. I just gave you the talk about not crashing the airplane, but the principle remains true. Cincinnati, if Cincinnati wants to get in, they have to. Not kind of. They have to blow every team out the rest of the season. You need to prove to us that we were wrong. Because when you play subpar teams and lose in subpar fashion... You prove to us that, or not even us, but everyone who doesn't believe in Cincinnati, you prove to them that they're right. The committee is waiting on Oklahoma, or Cincinnati. Oh my goodness. Committee's waiting on Cincinnati to show up and to show them that they are wrong. And that's why they have them at, oh my heavens, where do we have Cincinnati at again? I believe we have them at six. So... Again, show us that we got it wrong. I got too many windows open, people. That is a recipe for absolute disaster. Okay, right. Cincinnati's at six, which is where I have them. Because they're telling you, look, you're the first, you're one of the first two out. As rankings go this early. But if you show up and you can blow teams out the rest of the season. We're telling you we will give you the nod. If they were at seven or eight, then I would be concerned. But right now they have them at six, which means they have you in contention. You just have to prove that you belong there. And right now you haven't shown us that because I'd be willing to bet that if any one of these teams in the top five played the same record as Cincinnati, there's not a loss either. So you haven't really shown us anything different than we think we already know. Okay, next we have, that's it people, I'm getting rid of all of these stupid tabs, it is ruining my entire life. Okay, after six Cincinnati, I have five Oklahoma. Why five Oklahoma? Because even though I think they should have a postseason ban put off them on college football, that's not happening, and as crazy as it is, that offense with Caleb Williams is absolutely elite. Just because of the way that he buys you time in the pocket up there with the likes of Bryce Young and the way he's able to put the ball on the rope on the run with one foot in the ground, sometimes no feet on the ground is tantamount only to maybe Patrick Mahomes. Though his ball placement is elite. Do not get it twisted. Okay, so five, I have Oklahoma because while the defense has proved every year that they go to the college football playoffs, they can't stop anyone. The offense is elite. And to their credit, they got into a shootout with Georgia. Granted, 2017, but it was a good game. This is where my top 10 gets a little dicey because you're saying, well, what happens to Alabama? Because you're looking at me saying, well, you're not giving, you're degrading Cincinnati. For barely beating bad teams. You'll be happy to know. That at number three. I have Alabama. Because while I don't think. That Oregon is significantly better. Than Alabama. Oregon. 
lost a very close game to a much better defense than Ohio State or than Alabama. And Alabama has shown twice now an ability to barely beat Alabama's loss is a Alabama's near loss is a lot worse than Oregon's near loss because Alabama's issue was there were eight starters out coming into the game and you have an entire coaching staff who knows they're getting fired at the end of the year. So they have absolutely no motivation to continue working effectively at their jobs. Alabama's came down to a one possession game with two minutes left to go. So Alabama, while I do still think they're the second best team in the country and do not get it twisted, they have every possible chance to beat Georgia. They didn't show it to me against LSU's JV football team. And they had two people get injured in that game, and they still couldn't pull it out in convincing fashion. Then we have Oregon at number two. Again, if you hate this, I don't hate you for it. It's, 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 it is subjective, A, but B, it's really close. Like, honestly, this group of Oregon, Alabama, and Ohio State, all these, they're all one loss. It's super close between all of them, and it's really just, it's just a game of inches. And again, it doesn't matter because in these next few weeks, Ohio State has to play Michigan State and Michigan and Purdue. That's a tough stretch. And what do we know about Purdue? Purdue has the best record when they're unranked playing ranked teams. Purdue, I believe absolutely will come in as a wrecking crew to this Ohio State offense it will just be I think Purdue has the ability to score on the defense we'll see if the offense can keep up with Purdue's defense because the Michigan State game was a shootout so we just got to see if Purdue can keep up number two Oregon number one go dogs people like what else can I say absolutely go dogs rep Uga. It doesn't matter. Okay, so they have to play Tennessee this week. And I'm not going to call Tennessee a bunch of scrubs because they're not. This Tennessee offense is like the definition of just a Roman candle fight. Like they just keep popping off. 75-yard touchdown, 60-yard touchdown. Like they just keep going. It'll be really cool because it will be a matchup of Georgia's offense with Tennessee's defense. And this is, again, one of those games where I tell you it doesn't always matter what the records are coming into this game because as a Georgia fan, I remember plenty of games where we should have beat Tennessee and it was close. Or Tennessee should have beat us and it was close. Or that one between the two Hail Marys between Jake Fromm and Josh Dobbs. Like It's just going to be a tight game. All of that being said, though, Georgia already clinched the SEC championship. They can lose every single game the rest of the season. Granted, they won't because we have to play Tennessee, Georgia Tech, and Charleston Southern. So out, Georgia can do whatever they want. They can rest guys. They can test out J.C. Daniels, see what they got. But as of right now, Stetson Bennett's the starter. Kirby said that going forward, Stetson will continue to stay the starter. And Georgia's going to stay the number one team in the country as we look into our rankings tonight so yeah that is uh that's your rankings for for me at least i i'm pretty sure the committee is going to start is going to look a lot like what mine look like you're probably not going to see auburn at 10 but right now i have nine oklahoma state eight michigan seven michigan state six cincinnati five oklahoma four ohio state three alabama two oregon one georgia
the Big Ten is gonna it's gonna weed itself out. We're gonna find out what happens between Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State as they all play each other here soon. And Wisconsin might just get to walk through all of the chaos and end up clean on the other side. We will find out. We'll see who's beat up coming into this, coming in and out of the Big Ten championship. Okay, so there is a whole mess with Aaron Rodgers. And I talked about Aaron Rodgers on Thursday, and then I came out and re-clarified on Friday because we got more information And then on Friday, we got the Pat McAfee interview that came out after I posted the podcast. So after I recorded, that was when the Pat McAfee interview came out. And I saw a lot of people post about it, and it was 50 minutes, so I didn't super want to spend my time watching that. But there were a lot of people. It was a very very divisive, very polarizing topic, this Aaron Rodgers interview on the Pat McAfee show. So I'm going to break it down a little bit for you because I did watch Aaron's side of it. Just because while I may not agree with everything he had to say, I did want to hear his side of the story. So I'm going to I'm going to give you what what I think is Aaron's truth and what I think is the truth, but I'm going to tell you why this has people so many people up in arms. Okay, so but the first thing is so say what you want about Aaron Rodgers, he did not miss much at all in his interview on the Pat McAfee show this last week. So Rogers has recently become the epicenter of a media superstorm as it is now public that he isn't vaccinated. The news outlets swelled and seized with all kinds of speculation about what is going to cascade as a result. And he finally spoke for the first time publicly on Friday morning. He gave a 47 minute interview to the former Colts kicker and his show. Um, but before we get too deep, like, Let's make one very necessary observation. There's a reason that Pat McAfee show got this interview and no one else did. Notice they are the only ones with firsthand content on this story and every other media outlet is simply a reaction to what they're putting out. The foundation of business boils down to the principle of supply and demand, right? If there's no demand, supply has nothing to satisfy. That being said, let's not get this twisted. This interview never would have happened on any major network. Neither ESPN or Fox would have played this and let Aaron say what he wanted to. Aaron wouldn't have even gone to them, and even if he would have, it would not have been the same. It would have been a lot more controlled, a lot more cut up. This whole interview worked because there's no agenda to it. What you see is what you get, and while that sounds simple, it's not always common in the media that we see today. We're seeing all this issue with the James O'Keefe stuff, the FBI rating people that they do not like. You're seeing business insider and these other companies trying to attack dave portnoy because really legacy media is under under attack under fire because media has more become about brand than it has become about actual truth and content so mcafee went on and let aaron Rodgers speak for 20 minutes straight and he said whatever he wanted and even if mcafee or anyone on the show disagreed at least what Aaron said was authentic. So you can say, if you watch it, you can say, oh, well, that's just the truth according to Aaron. It's not 100%. And I'd agree with you. But isn't that reality? So contrary to public opinion, there's more than two sides to every story. There's he said, she said, and then there's the actual truth. So yeah, there are probably some inconsistencies in his exact story as to what the NFL and the Green Bay Packers actually knew. But the truth, according to Aaron, also involved a lot of speaking out against the rest of the world. Sometimes the truth is not pretty and neither are false truths. But sometimes they both need to be said. 
so you can get a full continuity of opposition. And not everything in there was 100% fact. You can see the difference between this format and the media we all hate. It's simple, but it's significant. Our issue with major media is that they masquerade as truth seekers and that not only lie, but they also infuse their opinion as a matter of fact. There's a reason we all love people who can interject sarcasm and hyperbole in a matter that makes us laugh. It's because we understand what we're getting. I go to the grocery store and buy junk food because I know I'm buying junk food. So the interview may have had some opinions that I don't agree with, but I have the ability to see it for what it is. And I can see Aaron's reality and juxtapose it with mine and understand they aren't the same. And they don't have to be, nor should they be. Clay Travis once said, quote, the only place uniformity of opinion exists is North Korea. And that's not a path I want to follow, close quote. I don't love everything Aaron had to say, and I don't agree with everything he had to say, but I do understand it. Aaron's premise is that he doesn't believe every world order about this vaccine and this pandemic is, quote, based in science. His whole alternate route started because he found out that he was allergic to some of the vaccines. The mRNA vaccines, I think, is what he uh, quoted. And he didn't make this discovery to th through some deep Reddit thread. That was a disclaimer on the CDC website. So the whole thing started because of this, this, uh, this allergen that he had. So he started seeking another solution because I think he only had one other vaccine. And so he started doing research. Starts looking into these other alternate solutions. One of them is a homeopathic something or other immunization. So he goes and he gets whatever this alternate treatment is. And he's doing lots of research, has his medical team working on it, and claims that he's now immunized. We've come to find out since then, obviously he wasn't immunized because he got it. But let's also not get it twisted and say that anyone who – because that is also a big thing that I'm having a little bit of an issue with is we're yelling him for saying that he's immunized. But no one with the vaccine is actually immunized either. And, like, that's not me being political. That's just an actual fact. Like, if you can get it after you've already had the vaccine, then you're not immunized. You're vaccinated, but that's not the same. Because the definition of immunized is to connotate, to denotate that you can't receive it because you are immune. Well, we know that's not true. Okay? So... Aaron claims that the Green Bay Packers knew everything and that the NFL knew everything because he actually put in an appeal because they said, oh, well, you're not vaccinated. And he said, I know, but I'm immunized or I've gotten alternate treatment. And so he made an appeal and he really thought it was going to work and it didn't end up getting through. So according to him, the NFL and the Green Bay Packers knew everything that was going on. So then it comes to a matter of, well... Was he following all of the protocols? He claims that he was. He claims the only one he wasn't following is because it was stupid was this idea that you have to wear a mask when you're in a press conference when everyone at the press conference has also been immunized and they're sitting more than six to ten feet apart. So he claims that's the only one he didn't follow. Now, there are some things I agree with Aaron on. 
This one I know he BS'd about because you can see pictures of him sitting on the sidelines without a mask on when the NFL told him he qualified as an unvaccinated player. This makes me think that maybe the Packers just didn't want to deal with Aaron Rodgers anymore because you know you have that one employee. If you've ever been in any kind of management at work and you have to correct people, you know there are some people who you can ask them to do something, ask them to change, and they'll roll with it. There's other people that you wish you could just avoid correcting because it's more painful than what they're actually doing that is wrong. So there's that. But it's very easy to see that Aaron wasn't wearing a mask. He was violating protocols on the sidelines. Um, he said the thing that was dumb is that he had to get tested daily. And the, and then he had to wait 40 minutes in his car after he was tested to get the results back where people who were uh, vaccinated didn't have to wait to see if to get their test results back, which he found very interesting. And then he also claims that he never left anywhere um, on the bye week. So we can see whether or that remains to be true. Again, I don't love everything Aaron said. But I do think there were some valid questions in logic. Let's not get it twisted. I'm not saying that when he says he did his research, then he knows more than the actual medical community. I don't know what all of this research actually goes into because I know there's a lot of it that is conflicting. But I'm not going to pretend to be a medical expert. I do find it interesting, though, if everyone can carry it just as much, those that are vaccinated and those that aren't vaccinated, why does it even matter? You know what I'm saying? Like, if I want to choose to get the if I want to choose to get the, the virus, isn't that my prerogative? Because whether or not you have the vaccine or not, you can still carry it. So if I want to die, isn't that? Isn't that my choice? Because doesn't it not necessarily affect you whether or not I have the vaccine when people who are vaccinated can spread it just as much? So that was one of his big issues. He said he felt like a lot, and he used this phrase a lot that I, I repeated earlier. He didn't feel like a lot of these um, procedures were, quote, based in science. He said he felt they were based in fear. And to some extent, I do agree with him. It is very interesting to me that you have a lot of these that don't make any logical sense, but we're doing them. Why? I think out of fear. I don't think that the, necess the NFL necessarily really cares that much. I don't think Roger Goodell is, is one way politically that is very pro-vaccine. I don't think a lot of the NFL is. I don't think a lot of owners are. But I think that this mob mentality that social media has created – and for those of you who don't know what mob mentality is, it is essentially like if you it's, – it's, I would almost equate it sometimes to guys can be really nice. But as soon as they get into a room where the testosterone level has peaked, they become someone they're not and they do things they wouldn't normally do if they were by themselves. That's what mob mentality is. It's like we're for the most part, everybody's a pretty decent, nice person disregarding the Karens that you see on the internet, but like most people are just pretty decent. But mob mentality turns everyone on the internet into people they wouldn't normally be in their daily 
if like social interactions one-on-one. And Aaron's argument is that he feels that these, these mandates and these, and the vaccine and the polarization of all of this is causing this mob mentality to the point where the NFL is not necessarily making a lot of these choices out of logic and sense. He feels they're making them out of the NFL has to do this. Otherwise the government will come after them and the woke mob will come after them. You can feel however you want about that, but I do think there is partial truth to some of it. When you look at the logic, another thing that he talked about that I agree with is, and you can, again, you can agree with me. You don't have to agree with me and I don't love you or hate you anymore. If you disagree with me, like I I want everyone to have whatever opinion they want to have. If you disagree with me on the vaccine, I still love you. I do not care. It ain't that deep. But the other issue he said is, he alluded to is, we the the community the medical community seems to make all of these assertions just to find out three months later that that actually wasn't true that we didn't actually know that. And my issue with it is, look, I don't care. I get it. There's a lot about this that is very new that we don't know. I'm not blaming anybody for that because I don't know. I don't understand how most of this stuff works. I'm not an expert. Didn't go to medical school. No background. My background in logic would tell me though, if every single time I tell you I can be to your house by 10 o'clock after I get home from work, or sorry, let's say 5.30, and every single time I'm there at 6, you are at some point going to ask me, hey, stop telling me you're going to be here at 5.30 when you don't know that. When it becomes a pattern that I obviously don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to say, look, I don't care what time you're coming. Just at least be honest about it. And in this scenario, what Aaron is saying is, look, I get it. But let's stop saying that we know things that we don't know. Just say, this is what we think. We're not 100% sure. Because every time you say, I know, and you've been proven wrong three times now, now I'm not going to have a, I'm going to have a propensity to not believe anything that you say. And that's where I'm at right now, personally, as I'm like, look, I don't understand how this all works, but you've said this, that, and the other thing, and this, that, and the other thing have all been proven wrong three months later. He is also a huge issue with this is it's politicized, which I also agree with. And you can agree, disagree, but let me put it to you like this. And maybe I'll end it here. Another thing that Aaron cited is this idea that when Trump was president and he pushed the idea of a vaccine, everybody on the other side of the fence said, oh, don't get the vaccine. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be, it's going to kill you. It's not, it's not the move. That's not the way we should go. And then when someone else got elected, that per same person is now the biggest proponent for the vaccine and that his side of the fence is pushing the vaccine. So if you want to say that it's not political, look no further than that. Again, I don't know who's right and who's wrong, but logic is telling me that there's a disconnect somewhere and that's an issue. So let's not get it twisted 
and act like we know what's going on and we don't. Let's not disgrace Aaron Rodgers because it's a it's a don't shoot the messenger kind of deal. I agree, and I'll still double down. Aaron Rodgers is kind of a jerk. He's very arrogant, and he might have acted like he knew a lot more than what he was talking about from a medical standpoint. But it's from a logic standpoint, he's not crazy. To say that there's a lot that we don't know about this is very true. There is, there's a lot we don't know, and that's okay. And that was essentially what he's alluding to. Now, I think Aaron spit a lot of BS in that interview. I also think he's very narcissistic and arrogant. And the way he came across was a jerk. All of that being said, Aaron Rodgers has the right to say and do whatever he wants. And that's how I see it. So I encourage you, go back and watch that interview. I I love the Pat McAfee show because it's not full of ads. They It's it's a YouTube sponsor. It's on YouTube Live. I, I think that's who puts it out, but it's sponsored by FanDuel. And so it's, it's sports talk, but you don't have to sit through the 10 hours of commercials. You get the whole show. And this interview was 47 minutes straight. So if that doesn't tell you a lot, I don't know what will. So that's the Aaron Rodgers story. The next thing is, and this might be the last one, we might get into the Nikola Jokic thing here for like five minutes. But I cannot be the only one who's sick of this taunting rule. This new call in uh, the new, this new, I don't know if it's a discovery. I don't know what data they looked at that says we need to take into account more taunting. But it's getting a little ridiculous. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, here's what happened. So Monday night, we have Bears, Steelers, right? Okay, Bears, Steelers, uh, Justin Fields, Ben Roethlisberger. So in the fourth quarter, there's about two, three minutes left. And, oh my gosh. Oh, Cassius Marsh. Cassius Clay Marsh. Just kidding. Not his real name. But Marsh, he's just signed off the practice squad yesterday. Just moved up from the practice squad. There's like two minutes to go. It's third down. Cassius Marsh gets in. And and keep in mind, the Steelers are up at this point. But it's a one-possession game. Cassius Mars comes in, makes a huge sack, brings Ben to the ground. He then stands up. He does this Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, Cobra Kai spinning scissor kick. I don't know where it comes from, but it was pretty sweet. Definitely looked like he could have fought William Zabka and the boys. And then he takes two steps towards past the hash and he stares at the other sideline, stares at the Steelers sideline. And he, he doesn't make any gestures. His mouth does not even move. He's two steps past the hash. He's not even close. He's not jarring. He is not saying anything. He then turns around to run back to his own sideline because punt team's coming on. Steelers already have their punt team like coming onto the field. 
He starts running off. And as he's running off, he sees the referee and he makes them, he, he attempts to step around the referee. At this point, the referee has a hand on his flag. He hasn't pulled it. He's just got a hand on the holster. As soon as Marsh makes this step to go around the official, the official hip checks him, hip checks Cassius Marsh, and after he hip checks him, that is when the referee throws the flag in the air and calls the taunting foul that happened 15 seconds prior that was really just an iteration of him staring at the defensive, the other team's sideline. And then you have the press conference where Cassius says that he was body checked. And after that play, it was fourth down. The Steelers were punting. It ends up being another first down for the Steelers. Now, let's not get it twisted. I'm not saying that this penalty cost them the game because it didn't. What cost them the game was that Justin Fields and Darnell Mooney scored way too early. It was a phenomenal catch and grab or a pass and catch, but it was too early and you left enough time on the clock for the Steelers to go down and score. So that didn't decide the game. But it was such an unnecessarily egregious call by the official. And that's the part that's really upsetting. So then... The referee comes out and says that the that the the contact between him and Cassius, oh my gosh, not Cassius, like Cassius Marsh had nothing to do with him throwing the flag. But if you go back and watch it, go back and watch the video. The quote unquote taunting happens where he stares at the other sideline. Also, this preseason he was a Steelers player and they cut him, and now he plays for the Bears. So to have some kind of momentum built up as a hate for the other side is not unnecessary. So go back and watch the video though. So he, like I'm going to pull it up. He's running to his sideline. He makes an effort to step around this official and the referee bumps, checks him, and then throws the flag. Like the order, the... The sequence is significant. His hand is on the flag after he sees what happens. If the fly, if the foul is there, then you have to throw it there. But this is another thing I hate about sports. I understand that you have to make a call. But nothing changed in between when he looked at the other sidelines and when he started running off the field other than you hip-checked him. If you knew it was a foul then, then why didn't you throw it then? I, like, I hate, if you see 12 men on the field, call it. You don't wait until the end of the play to say, oh, well, I think there was 12 men on the field. There either were or there weren't. It's a foul the whole time, but it's also like, if you see holding, but the ball, the pass has already been made 30 yards down the field. It's caught. They're running for the end zone. Don't throw it then. If it was a foul, then it was a foul. Then it's not. And that's the issue is if it was a foul, then why is the only thing that caused you to throw the flag was you waiting to bump into him? Because he made an attempt to scoot around this referee. 
and the referee hip-checked him and tossed the flag, which was completely unnecessary and intentional by this official. And I get it. Being an official is hard. Being any kind of working in sports is hard because there's so much hate. My buddy's uncle is the guy who was the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks when they decided to not give it to Marshawn Lynch. He said going to school the next day was the worst thing in the world. I can't even imagine what it was like to be Daryl Bevel. I understand that it's tough. But also, what I talked about earlier with Cincinnati, you know what you're getting into. If you don't want it to be this tough, then go coach high school. Go coach Little League. You made an egregious call. After you hip-checked a player. And before all of that, at what point did it become increasingly negative and egregious for me to look at another sideline? Like, I get that he took three steps past the hash, but the hash is still like 20 yards from the sideline. So you're telling me that if I make a tackle on the opposing team's sideline, and I get up and look at anyone on that same sideline, and I do nothing but run towards my own team, I should be given a taunting flag. Because I think that's also unnecessary. It's this amalgamation of all of these unfortunate, unnecessary, and frankly irresponsible calls. Like, you're ruining, you're ruining the game to some point. The other extent of this is, the gambling aspect, people are losing money based on calls. And these gambling companies, a lot of them are having to pay out both ways and almost making no money because of issues that officiating are causing that are unnecessary. This isn't like it was a pass interference. It wasn't a late hit. It wasn't an unnecessary roughness, which all things, if you're a Bears fan, completely come into play because the Bears had more than double the fouls that the Steelers were given and like 10 times the yardage. I'm exaggerating, but you get what I'm saying. If the game is, if it's a foul, call it. If it's a not call it, if you're going to call it one way, then call it that way the whole game. But I hate that the officials have this need to let everyone know who's in charge because honestly, and to me, unnecessarily accidentally bumping into an official. In this situation, the official bumped into Cassius Marsh. I keep wanting to say Cassius Clay. It's not Muhammad Ali. But to me, as an official, you're an accessory to the game. Like, you're the equivalent of the football or a camera. You're just there to help the game, but you are not the game. And do not... Get it twisted. Don't think you're bigger than you are because you're not. There's plenty of people who play pickup all around the entire world who don't need you. Because you're not critical to the game. You're necessary, but you're not critical. The game can be played without you. Officials need to get their chill on. Other people who need to get their chill on, we'll just spend like two minutes on this before we have to head out, but... It's under the same realm as people are worried about. The reason they're calling taunting, I guess, is because they're worried about these egregious hits. 
constituting and connecting and succeeding into fights. First of all, you tell me when the last time we saw a professional sports fight on the field, bench clearing, since the Mouse of the Palace. We haven't. We haven't seen like anything like that since. We've had a couple scuffles. We had a couple one-on-ones. We've had nothing like that. So last night, you have Marcus Morris or Markeith Morris. I can honestly never get them figured out. One of them is coming down the court and makes a blindside hit on Nikola Jokic. And Nikola Jokic, like I told you earlier, the second heaviest player in the NBA. So it didn't hit him that hard. But it wasn't like it wasn't a clean play. It wasn't like just an aggressive, clean play. It was a body shot. So then Nicola says, okay, we can play. I'll fight you. And he just bowls Marcus Morris to the ground. And that's when they throw the flag. Or throw the penalty. Throw the foul. I have no problem with Nicola hitting Marquise Morris. If you're going to pop me, my dad always told you this when I was growing up. He said, if there's a kid that is really getting on you that much, bullying you that much, you just pop him one time. Because odds are he won't bother you again. And I think Nicola said the same thing. He said, if you're going to keep bugging me like a little child, I'm going to pop you. And odds are you won't come back for more. I have no problem at all with Nicola throwing that. He apologized after the game. But Marquise Morris wasn't hurt. There was nothing egregious about it. And again, they were two major blows. There was no fight. I hate this world that we're creating where people are like, oh, there's a lot of pushing and shoving and mean talking. I get that the world is different. We want to make the world different than the one people grew up in 20, 30 years ago when you could just spear a dude's head off. But I also like this idea that we're going to make kids tough again. And if we keep calling games like this, No one is ever going to be tough. They're just going to expect the world to give them a referee when they get afraid walking down the street late at night. Or when someone bullies them at work. They're going to expect the referee to come in. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you of all the jobs I've ever worked at, I never had a referee. When someone taunts, when someone looks at me the wrong way, there was no one there to throw a flag. When I lived in Vancouver... And there were sketchy people, and I almost got and I almost got jumped. My apartment and car got broken into. There was no referee to say, hey, don't do that. There aren't referees in life, people. And even more to that, it doesn't matter if there are or there aren't because this is sports. This is a sports issue. You're going out to protect something. You're going out to essentially stop a crime before it's even been committed. And to me, it's not even a crime. If two guys want to fight, let them fight. Because odds are somebody's going to get hurt and they're all going to realize I don't want to do that anymore. Which is a more effective teacher than just saying, no, you're not allowed to do that. Because if every time I tell you not to touch a stove, I just smack your hand or I smack you or I put soap in your mouth, you're always going to wonder what it's like. But if I'm protecting you for your own safety, maybe I need to let you be a little unsafe in your own choice. Because when you do touch that hot stove, you'll realize that you don't like it. So yeah, I am I'm okay with taunting. I'm okay with fighting because I think taunting is healthy. It raises competition levels. And I'm okay with fighting because I think most people are probably not going to do it. 
And if they are, you suspend them so hard that they never want to do it ever again if they don't get the message the first time. People, that is my time. Enjoy watching the college football playoffs tonight or the platform. The committee rankings revealed tonight on ESPN. College basketball starting tonight. We got that coming up. It's going to be a good time. That is my time, people. Y'all have a good one. Cheers.